All right, good morning. Let's turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Thanks to our musicians and all our friends in the booth who uh, get here very early on Sundays and stay late on Sundays and just get it done week after week. Very grateful for them. And um, Last week began really just a, it was just a two-week series to, as kind of a, a ramp, ramp up to Advent, which starts next Sunday. And uh, I'll talk more about that at the end, a couple of things that we have going on. Um, this is, was really just kind of a primer to get us ready for it. And looking at our, um, our adoption into the family of God, and um, I've spoken on this a couple of times about two years ago and then about five years ago. And I think it's something that we seem to come back to from time to time, because the longer we walk with the Lord, the more... The more this sinks in with us, the more it, it morphs in meaning and depth, and uh, I think it's just a very important thing. So in Galatians 4, <clears throat> starting in verse 4, you can listen to the podcast from last week to catch the end of chapter 3 and into the first part of 4, but um, we'll pick up in chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, let's stop right there. Um, to, to hear more about the stuff with the law and all that that means, you just, you'll just have to listen to last week because I, I, I ain't got time for that today. No, uh, I want to be able to get through all this, everything today. Um, and so there's, if you're curious about what that means, go back to last week and listen, listen to it a little bit. But the, if you start at the beginning of verse 4 and then skip to the end of verse 5 to kind of catch the, the full thought flow, um, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, if you jump to the end, uh, so that we might receive adoption as sons. That one of the reasons Jesus came was to adopt us. And adoption is a very easy concept to understand. When you are adopted, you get to be a part of a new family. Um, it is legal, it is official, it is, uh, you get a new name. Like it's, that's what it is. And so you who are not, um, not a part of a family get to be a part of this family through, uh, through adoption. And really, I've talked about this over the years. There's, there's two ways that families are created. They're, they're created uh, biologically, and then they're created through covenants. And so you have the biological way, which would be uh, having kids and getting married and having kids and that, that trickling down. And that's why we have, uh, you know, however many billion people on our planet. Uh, there's the biological way, and then there's the covenant way. So when uh, when a marriage happens, you have two people who are not biologically family, but they enter into a covenant and they become family that way. Uh, you can also have, um, historically, it's not as much of a thing currently, but if you look back over history, uh, friendships were also uh, like covenant things. When you look in the scriptures and you see Ruth and Naomi and you see David and Jonathan, uh, those, those are friendships that are like family and there's a commitment that is there. And uh, so historically, you can, you can not only create family in marriage covenant, but also a friendship covenant. Um, and adoption is another covenant by which families are created. 
And so God is creating this family. Um, There is a like biological sense that we are family, but also there is a covenantal sense. And that's what he's talking about here, that um, Jesus has come to basically to start a new family. Um, Bigger than that, he's we're actually invited into a family, but I'll get to that in just a second. And so, um, in other words, in these verses, he's saying at just the right moment, the father sent Jesus to redeem you. I'll make this about you. It's also about us, but I'll speak in terms a lot in you today. Um, At just the right moment. The Father sent Jesus to redeem you in order to bring you into the family of the Trinity. Um, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, some, sometimes we look at, at the, at, you know, we have one God who fully exists in three distinct persons. The Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Sometimes we look at them and we say, well, they were a community. And that's true. They were a community. But... Uh, they were also what we can think of as a family as well. And so the Trinity got together and said, let's, uh, let's, let's adopt, let's bring into our family all of these sons and daughters that are made in our image who have rebelled against us and therefore separated themselves from us. Uh, let's, let's come up with a plan to bring them back into the family to adopt them back into the family. And so, um, as I talked about last week, your adoption was incredibly costly. The Father, the Son, the Spirit all paid dearly for, for your adoption and for mine. Uh, but at no point have any of them regretted what they did. Um, your adoption was worth it, 100%. Um, would probably do it again, you have to ask them. But I'm sure that they would do it again. Uh, and even though, and I joke a lot about how, like, what a like, mess we all are. And, and let's admit it, we're kind of messy, you know. Uh, God knew what he was getting into with you and with me um, and did it anyway. And so uh, this, this whole thing about being adopted into a family, this, this is separate from him just saving us, you know. He could have saved us from our sins and redeemed us and uh, put us in right standing with him and brought us back into relationship with him. Um, and he could have just done that. And he didn't, but he didn't, he didn't have to adopt us, you know. He didn't have to do what these next couple of verses are talking about. Uh, the fact that he did tells us a lot about who our God is. And so that's a lot of today is it'll be about you, it'll be about us, but it'll really be about him. What kind of God would do this right here? Um, and if you look at 6 and 7, Paul describes what, uh, what it means to be in the family. Look at, look at 6 and 7. Because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, this is, this is over the top. Like this is, uh, he didn't have to do, he didn't have to, didn't have to make us heirs, you know. He could have just saved us uh, from an eternity separated from him. Um, he, could, he, he could have, he didn't have to do this. He didn't have to give us an inheritance. He didn't have to make us heirs. He didn't have to, uh, he didn't have to give us the church. He didn't have to, like those are not things he had to do. These are things he wanted to do. And so in those, in these verses, let me, let me give you five, five things 
that we receive as sons and daughters who have been adopted. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you what they are so you can kind of know where we're headed. Um, As adopted sons and daughters, we receive the spirit, a father, a brother, a family, and an inheritance. The spirit, a father, a brother, a family, and an inheritance. Um, This is what God wanted you to have in him. And as I said, this... This is getting us ready for the Advent season. And so each of these things, you could do a really deep dive down into them. Um, And I don't know why I thought about this yesterday. This might not make any sense. But you ever watch Bob Ross paint? Uh, Chad has. When Bob Ross paints, he doesn't like paint a tree and then put like every bit of detail in it and then go to another tree. Right, He starts off and he just kind of like gets that fan brush thing and just kind of somehow does something that I don't know if any of us could do. Chad probably can. I don't know if anyone else could just like make a tree. And he says, it's a happy tree. And you're like, it is a happy tree. How did you do that? But he kind of does like the general thing and the mountain and the different stuff. And, and the longer, he, then he goes and he adds more and more detail to each of the things. This will not be the, like a detailed deep dive into each of these five components um, this will be more of like, let's just get the landscape in place so we can see. So if you're thinking, well, there's so much more to say about, you know, this particular point, you're right. There's a lot to be said about all of this. So think of this as more of just, we're just getting all the pieces into place. And as we move through the Advent season, uh, this is kind of getting us primed for that. So let's take them one at a time. Uh, the first thing, the spirit. So again, verse six, because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, okay? So, uh, as I said a a minute ago, uh, God is one God who eternally and fully exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is fully and equally God, but yet there is distinction among them. So Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit uh, is given to the believers. Um, Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within the believers. And so when you, uh, when you realize who Jesus is, and you realize who you are in light of him, and you say, I, I need you to fix this, and instead of, you know, I, I grew up in church, a lot of it was like asking Jesus into your heart, Jesus into your life. And uh, a couple of years ago, I heard someone flip it around and say, no, you don't, you don't need Jesus in your life. You need your life in Jesus's life. Don't ask him into your life. Your life is a wreck. <laughs> Bring, he's inviting you into his life. And that's a different way of saying it, but a more accurate way of saying that when we realize who Jesus is and he says, he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And when you enter into that relationship with him and you see him as your redeemer and your Messiah, uh, there's all these things that happen. You cross from death into life, you, you're, you're resurrected, and a part of that is that the Spirit of God, the, like that member of the Trinity, comes to dwell within us. It's a, this baffling mystery. And even the smartest theologians have ever lived can't really explain it fully. It's just this, this beautiful thing that we trust and we believe that we are fully, um, 
that God's Spirit is fully indwelling upon us. And so upon our adoption into the family, um, in all of his fullness, God puts his spirit within us. Um, this is how the, what Christ did on the cross, it's how that is applied to you and to I. And in our adoption, um, as his son or as his daughter, uh, this means that you'll never be forsaken because he's in you. It means you'll never be alone because he's in you. You'll, you'll never be clueless or powerless uh, or any kind of, like anything you can describe that is n- negative and makes you feel lonely and isolated and just wandering through aimlessly. None of those things are true because his spirit dwells within you. And so those things, you'll always have protection and provision and leadership and assurance and conviction and correction and discipline and hope. I mean, I could keep going with all the things that we will always have. Uh, it's like the 23rd Psalm, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I, I shall not want. Like, I, I will lack no good thing. And how can we sing that? How can we declare that? How can we build our lives on that? Well, because the Spirit has been given to you as a guarantee Like God has put his spirit in you as his son, as his daughter. He says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I I live inside of you. Why would I I forsake or abandon my son or my daughter that I live within, you know, that I went to such great lengths to adopt? And so the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and and, and who we are as, as, as vessels of his spirit and his grace it's something that we, uh, we'll, it's just this thing we'll learn about the, the rest of our lives. Learn to walk more deeply in. And when I say the Spirit serves as a guarantee, here's, here's some of what I'm talking about. Like in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, It is God who, this is 21 and 22, It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He has put his spirit within you and, and sealed it. Like it's a, it's a, a guarantee. And some, would, some look at that word guarantee and they talk about it being like a down payment, like a, you know, like a deposit. Like God's like, I'm so certain uh, that I'm going to keep all of my promises that I'm going to put my spirit in you. And you hold on to that uh, until the day comes. Can you imagine, parents, if you were like, uh, if you were at a store and you were like, well, um, oh, I left my wallet in my car. Tell you what, I'm going to leave my child with you and go out to the car. I'll be right back. Um, they, they would probably believe, well, they might, they might call the cops, but they would probably believe you're going to come back and get your child. You know, like you, that's not an agreement that a, that a rational person, um, that an irrational person w- would make. And so like, it's, it's, it's almost as if he said, what's like, what's the most empowering, powerful thing I can do? I can give them my spirit. I can seal them. And that's how they'll know. That's how they'll know that they're my son they're my daughter. That is that, that's where that assurance will come from. That's where that confidence will come from. And in those times when that confidence like tends to wane, uh, I'll remind them, I'll whisper to them, I'll bring them a scripture, I'll bring them a song, I'll bring them a word of encouragement. I'll, I'll just, I'll speak to it because I'm with them. 
In Ephesians 1, Paul says it this way. He says, in him, this is 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and beloved in him, and believed in him, sorry, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. It's, he's, he's guaranteeing what he has done. And so we have that spirit as a guarantee and the spirit testifies to our adoption and our sonship and our daughtership. The spirit is, is agreeing with what I'm saying right now. That when we talk about being sons and daughters, there's a part of you, there's a part of you that probably like pushes back a little bit because we have really like, uh, we all have like insecurity issues and uh, performance issues and stuff like that. And we kind of, we're still working through that performance driven view of God. But in that part of you, every time I say something that's true, there's a part of you that kind of, it kind of resonates a little bit. The spirit of God is affirming that what the scriptures are saying about you is true. Um, so as a son, as a daughter, one of the things that you get upon your adoption is his spirit dwelling within you. The second thing um, is that you get a father. So you notice in verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. So, what does what does that mean? Okay, well, let's let's look at the word Father first of all. Uh, I say Father. You think of certain things, and uh, some of them might be uh, really great things. Some of them might be really difficult things. Maybe you had a fantastic, present, emotionally available father. Maybe you had a terrible abusive father. Maybe you had an absent father. There's so many scenarios. uh, It it just is. There's just a lot of options. Um, But the thing is, no matter matter how many gaps your earthly father left in your your upbringing, could be a lot of gaps, could be a few gaps, um, the role of father in your life has been made complete. Like, God the Father has completed all of those things. Because your Father is not just any Father. Like, your Heavenly Father is not, it's, it's the Holy One of Israel. Is your Father now. The one that chose to adopt you into His family. And by doing so, for all the great dad things, He affirms those and uh, like builds upon those and shows you how those really good earthly dad things just pointed to, this, pointed to this greater reality. For all the difficult dad things and all the gaps and all the wounds and all that kind of stuff, he comes in and he heals and he fills in those gaps to the point where all of us who are adopted into the family of God in, in reality have... N- we have no voids in the father relationship. Now, it takes a little while to, to like adjust to that and to realize that and to, and to heal from some of those things and 
and to come into that reality. So what I'm saying may not exactly jive with your feelings and your experience. And you might be in counseling right now working through some of those things and you need to keep doing that. Uh, what I'm saying is there's a, there's a reality that God is leading you into a deeper and deeper and deeper realization of. And so let him do that. But know that it's, it's headed somewhere. Know that a part of your adoption is to bring you into the family of God and, and to, and to co- give you a complete uh, like father in terms of like the role of what a father is to you. Um, and I don't know if that makes any sense, but let me, let me point out the fact that um, he says Abba Father and not just Father. So first of all, it's not just any father, it's Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel. He fills in all the voids. But then that word Abba, that is, uh, is you know, so at different points in my life I've heard people say like, well that's what little Jewish kids, that was like them saying daddy, you know, and, and that's, not, that's not exactly true. Um, it, it's sort of true. First of all, it's an Aramaic word, not a, not a, not a, a Hebrew word. Uh, it's, it's Aramaic and it is what little kids would call their dad, but it's also what a grown man would call his dad. So I don't know how many of you grown men, uh, or, or women, I don't know how many of you when when you speak to your father, I don't know if you call him father. Hello, Father. You know, I don't, that seems really formal, right? Really, like you may reference, like, my father is doing well, or, you know, this and this and this. But, like, when you speak to him directly, you might call him Father, but most of us have some sort of, some sort of nickname, some sort of, like, term that's, it is more affectionate, it is more reflective of a relationship. Um, that's what this word is. And so it wasn't just used by little kids. It's also used by adults to refer to their fathers. It is, it is a term of endearment, but it's not a childish one. It's a, it's a very beautiful one. Um, and to use the same language that Jesus used tells us that if you look at Jesus and his relationship with the father and you think, man, what a, what beauty there, what closeness there, what uh, intimacy there for him to not only call him father, like in this capital F father, God of the universe kind of thing, but to call him Abba. How incredible would that be? And this text is pointing to the fact that we have that same connection like the same connection that, that, that Jesus has, um, the, same, the same kind of relationship is what is being formed in us. That the use of that language is not just a random thing. It's, um, it's the way that Jesus talked to the Father, and it's the way Jesus taught his disciples to talk to the Father, and it's the way he trains us to relate to the Father as well. Um, this term is, is one that is deeply personal to God and is becoming deeply personal to us. And, and, and here's what I mean. For, for God to call you son, to call you daughter, um, like that is uh, an adoptive choice that he made because he loves you. Um, for us to call him Abba takes a little bit. I remember, uh, so my, uh, my younger brother, Drew, he and his wife, Catherine, they have three boys. 
the older two are biological brothers that they've adopted out of foster care. And then the youngest one is one that they had biologically. And I remember with the older two, whenever they were fostering them and then started to, to pray about adopting them and then like talk to them about it. And the boys were like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, they're like, we're four and two. Like, what do we know? You know, they're like, great. Um, I remember Drew and Catherine, uh, their attachment to them and their heart for them, their love for them. Uh, and I remember what it meant the first time that one of them called him daddy. Cause at first it was like, Mr. Drew, Mr. Drew, Mr. Drew. And then the longer they were there and the more the family formed and the more it became clear that God was in this adoption, uh, the older one just started calling him daddy, just instinctively. And then the younger one did. And now that's, they, that's all that they call him, you know. And I look at that and I say, I wonder, I wonder if that's a similar pattern with us in the Lord where he has this deep affection for us. Like he knows that he is Abba to us, but we may not necessarily realize at first that he is Abba to us, you know. Like maybe it takes a little while for the adopted kids to realize who he is, um, but then like in a deeper sense who, who he is to us. And so you may not feel like God the Father is that like in that same like close uh, kind of like intimacy that Christ has with him. Um, but the longer you walk with the Lord, the more, the more that forms, you know, the more that starts to make sense. And so this is deeply personal to God, like this title, Abba Father. But for us, it's increasingly meaningful. And so you talk to someone that's walked with, the, with God for 30 years versus three days, and those are going to be very different senses of relationship. But the reality is, whether it's three days or 30 years, your, your sonship, your daughtership is the same. And so being adopted into the family, uh, he, we get his spirit within us, and we get, the, we get a father, and we get a brother. Here's the third one. So again, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son, capital S, son, into our hearts. So, in other words, Jesus is your prophet and your priest and your king and your savior and your redeemer and all these, he's all these things, and you put brother on the list as well. That Jesus is a brother of yours. Here's some, a couple of, uh, you don't have to turn to it, and I'm going to put them on the, on the screen, but in Romans 8, says that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Hebrews 2 says that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Romans 8 said that he's the firstborn among many brothers. Now, to be adopted into the family and uh, all of us to be like on this like equal ground, it is, does not mean that we are the same as Jesus. You know? Like, we're, there's an equality among us, but we're not equal with him uh, in, like, in terms of like, we're not the same, you know? But in terms of inheritance and in terms of 
uh, relationship to the Father and in, in terms of, of love and commitment and unity and all these other kinds of things, there is a solidarity with Jesus. That he can somehow be the king and be our brother at the same time. That he's not untouchable, you know? That he's not uh, too busy for us or anything like that. That there is a, there is a solidarity and a unity that exists with him. And so he's not as, we're not as equal, but he's deeply unified to us. He's not ashamed to call us brothers because we're fellow heirs with him. And I could talk more about that. I'm just going to leave that one there. But just to think about your brother as the king, it's a pretty good, pretty good deal. So when we're adopted into the family, we, the spirit dwells within us. We have a father, we have a brother. The fourth thing we get is a family. There's so much family language in this verse Again, verse 6, because you are sons, plural, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. There's this, there's this collective nature about things. We see it all throughout the New Testament. Uh, in Mark 3, Jesus says, for whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. He's not, he's not trying to do away with the nuclear family. He's saying there's a nuclear family and there's a spiritual family. And if we're going to walk in obedience to the Father, then that makes us siblings. Uh, another word for saying that we are siblings is to say that we are a family. Galatians 3, like in the chapter right before the one reading, says, if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That when God told Abraham, I'm, I'm, going, to, uh, I'm going to make uh, a great nation of you and the nations of the earth will be blessed and you're, uh, you won't be able to count your descendants. Uh, there'll be so many of them that we're included in that by faith. And even how many times when you read New Testament letters, Paul, how many times did Paul say brothers? Brothers and sisters, sisters, like there, there is this language there. And so when we talk about the church and our church being a church family, that's not just like a marketing term, you know, we're not trying to brand it to try to create certain things in our heads. That's a theological fact that we're trying to like, like embed down into our hearts and into our minds that when we are together, um, we are this adopted group of sons and daughters uh, and so when God adopts us uh, and creates this family, um, this is something that we embrace on a deep level. And so when, when we gather together, it's not just a public meeting, you know. This is not like a homeowners association or, you know, the Lions Club or I don't even know what the Lions Club is. But uh, like it's not, it's not this like public thing. Like when we are together, this is a gathering of the adopted kids, you know. It's a gathering of the family. There's a lot of terrible things about COVID, and one of them is how, is how it has affected the gathering of God's people. Um, and so when we come together, this is not just any old get-together. That's why I, I don't... Uh, yeah, I, I guess I could say it this way. Um... I think it's something that the longer we walk with the Lord, 
to value what we do when we're together in this room as a community group, as two adopted kids having coffee, whatever the setting is, uh, to not see it as we're just like getting together to do this thing and so we can go about our day. But to really think of this as like this is a family reunion every time we're together. And this is not just any old gathering, you know. Like this is a gathering of people that God has adopted and given his spirit and become their father. And Jesus is our brother and made us into family. And so when someone joins the family, it impacts every one of us. So every time one of our kids, for example, prays, recognizes who Jesus is, and all that stuff happens, and they get adopted into our family, it's different. That's why when we baptism, we're like, you're not, like, you're, you're in the brotherhood now. You're in the sisterhood now, you know? Like, this is entering into the family. It's a, it's a big deal to us. The things that, that you go through, I also go through. That's part of why we're in community groups together is because as a big group, we, it's, you can't keep up with what's going on in each other's lives. We have to, to get into smaller groups so that as you're sitting in those rooms that you can tell them what's going on in your life. Because if you're going through it, then I'm going through it. And if you're going through it, I don't even know that you're going through it. I'm, it's still impacting me, right? Because we're, there's an interconnectedness that's going on. And so if you're going through it, I want to at least be aware that you're going through it so I can pray for you or encourage you or use whatever gifts I might have and, and the same thing you know, in, in return. And so all of those relationships that we talk about, it, it's not just because we want, to, we want to have a good, strong church, we want to have a good community, uh, all those kinds of things. It's a reflection of what we believe theologically God has done. If we were just looking to just have stuff to do, then we could all go do other things. This is a shadow of what God has done in the heavens among us. We just get to walk together in it. Even to the point of when something happens to our siblings overseas, it impacts us. So if you read, read what's going on in Nigeria right now with Christians in Nigeria, um, those are brothers of ours. Those are sisters of ours. The persecution that's happening there and in so many places on our, on our planet uh, it, it has to get to us. And so this understanding of adoption uh, is, is not just a feel-good thing. Like it's a, it's a helping us understand what God has done theologically. And when that starts to make sense, then it makes sense about wh- why we are like focused on the business of the family. Because our father and our big brother... And the spirit that dwells within us, have, uh, they have a plan to adopt more kids. <laughs> and we're a part of that plan. And that's why we combine our, our gifts and our money and our time and our energy and whatever else we need to do in order to bring that, that adoption announcement to those who are not yet adopted. We are all about the business of this family Even to the point where simple things like when there's a void in the nuclear family, the spiritual family is there. 
So you're, you're adopted, you get the, the Holy Spirit, you get a father, you get a brother, you get a family. Here's the last one. You get an inheritance. And this is kind of pointing us into Advent a little bit. Um, because he says if we're sons, then we're heirs. If you're a son, you're an heir. What, is, what are we getting? Well, we get everything. Here's what I mean. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell with therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Another translation that says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So what are we inheriting? Or we're inheriting everything. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 it says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So it's all, it's all, all yours. First Peter 1, read this a lot in the last couple of months here on Sunday. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God shares all of his stuff with all of his kids. And so we talk about an inheritance that's awaiting us, that when Jesus comes back in that second advent, it makes everything new and however, however all that's going to go down and whatever he wants to do and the new earth uh, is established, it is ours. Like we get to rule and get to reign over creation as a part of our inheritance, as a part of being in the family. God the Father will always be God the Father. God the Son will always be God the Son. God the Holy Spirit will always be the Holy Spirit. Their little family, they have adopted us into. And they say, come be a part of us to the point where everything that they have is a part of our inheritance. And so, yeah, we get all the stuff of the new earth, and that's fine, good, but there's something better than that, is that... Uh, our existence will be free from sin and all of its impact. That's a pretty significant part of our inheritance, right? No, no more death, no more COVID, no more uh, financial debt, no more uh, presidential elections. What's up? Uh, no more, no more, no more, no, just mega lists. It's all going away. And that's better than the stuff that we get, Right? But the best part of our inheritance is the unfiltered, unveiled presence of God among us. That's, that's the best part of what we have to look forward to. That's why we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, and do it quickly. That's why in the Advent season, we not only look at his first coming, but his second one, the one that's to come. We anticipate it. 
Is it because we want all the stuff of the new earth? Oh, that's great. Is it because we want to be free from sin and all its effects? Absolutely. But what's the, what makes heaven heaven is the unveiled presence of God. And I read this to you all the time. Revelation 21. So I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither sh- there shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I mean, it doesn't get any better. So in his adoption of you and me, as I try to land this thing, uh, to think about what he saw fit to give us um, when my when my nephews were adopted, they had the the proceeding that day, and uh, they they got gifts to like symbolize the day. And some of the gifts they got had their new names on them. You know, so we're adopted. What does what does God give us? His Spirit dwelling within us. He gives us Himself as a Father. He gives us Jesus as a brother. Puts us in a family with one another, and has this inheritance that was not only a future thing, but we get to start walking in it right now. I mean, as great as every adoption on earth has ever been, uh, hopefully, um, is there one better than that? I don't think so. And so the greatness of what God has done uh, should bring us to a point of humble gratitude and really deepen the, the affection and the love that we have for our God. And so I know that I've said a lot of words in the last little while, but I hope, they've, hope it's been good words. I hope that this is, has been encouragement last week and this week and frame some things so that we can head into Advent uh, with like just the, all these things in mind that we do this as siblings. So let me pray for us as our musicians come back up. We're going to sing a little bit and res- respond to what God is doing and, uh, and I'll have an announcement or two and we'll be done. Let's stand together. Father, I'm thankful for, um, for every person that's in this room. And thankful for every man who can stand here and say that he is a son because you adopted him. And for every woman that can say she is a daughter because you have adopted her. I'm thankful for this massive family that you have created. For how many siblings we have all around the world and all throughout time that we've never met that we'll get to have an eternity with. Uh, it's pretty awesome to think about what you have done for us. And all this is really a, it's a reflection of who you are, God, because you didn't have to do that. You could have just let us, let us be. But you saw it fit to do this incredible, this incredible thing among us. And so I ask that you would help us to understand it on a more deep and personal level this morning and as we go from this place and as we journey through Advent together, 
that we would grow and become more and more familiar with what it means to call you Abba. We thank you and we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.